0: You are listening to the Sunday Sermon from Crossroads Bible Church in Bellevue, Washington. To learn more about Crossroads, visit us on our website at CBC Bellevue. Good morning, Crossroads. Lori and I have missed you so much. Only her 50th birthday celebration would have taken us away from you. But I'll tell you, the time away deepened our love for you even more, if that's possible. We love you so much, and we're so proud of you. There is no church we would rather be a part of. But I sure am grateful for Pastors Tanner and Zach. Can we just say thank you to them once again? We have so many gifted women and men who faithfully teach God's Word. We truly get to celebrate God's Word at Crossroads Bible Church. We're going to be entering into a new sermon series called No Rest for the Righteous, the book of 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to start that a week from this Sunday. And what I love so much about this letter is there is no other letter of Paul's 13 where he is able to communicate his love and affection for the church like 1 Thessalonians. And there's some other strengths as well. There is no book in the entire New Testament that emphasizes the concept of encouragement like 1 Thess. Do we need encouragement this morning? Yeah, desperately. But we're not done. There's no book that emphasizes Christ's return quite like 1 Thessalonians. All five chapters, again and again and again and again and again. Christ is coming. We need to live as if we're prepared to meet him. So I can't wait to start this series a week from Sunday. Don't miss it. Also, don't miss our monthly worship and prayer night. We're going to be doing a prayer night called Rise Up, where we encourage CBC, the National Church, the Global Church, to rise up and build disciples and ultimately bring Jesus to our world. So John and I will be facilitating this time, And if you've never experienced one of our monthly worship and prayer nights, come out this Tuesday night at 6 p.m. I don't know about you, but I grew up attending church and anticipating Sunday lunch. My mom is a tremendous chef, and she would always put something in the crock pot She would always have something that she was prepared to be able to make when we got home, and it was always delicious. So we would go to church, we would meet, greet, we would sing, we would sit under the word, and then we would go home. And we would enter the kitchen, and the aroma of my mom's meal would rise up before us. And we were like boy, we're glad that we worked ourselves out at church so we can enjoy a Sunday lunch. Some of you are hungry right now. You're thinking about your Sunday lunch. Perhaps you're going to grill some steaks or you're gonna enjoy salmon this afternoon or maybe you're gonna go easy. You're gonna go to Red Robin, Chipotle, or Maude. But is anyone right now thinking about a head of lettuce? Who would love some lettuce for your Sunday lunch? Anyone? Oh, we have some vegetarians in the house. Either that or you're just trying to mess with me. Now, if you're trying to mess with me, you know you're not supposed to lie ever, but especially in church, right? What do you think about three heads of lettuce? Does that excite you? Well, today, we're going to have a biblical buffet of lettuce. Let me explain the menu very quickly. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, the anonymous writer of Hebrews shares three lettuce exhortations. So I want the front row ready. And I might even slip it into the second row. Are you ready? Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us What an effort! That was amazing! (laughs) Consider. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider. Those three exhortations are our menu. Now let me just quickly tell you about the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 10, verse 18, the author of Hebrews explains Jesus Christ, what's called Christology, the study of Christ. And he's going to summarize these ten chapters with three words, and none of them are lettuce. I'm sorry to disappoint you. The summary is this, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. That's what the author spends all of his time arguing Then in chapter 10 verses 19 through 25 and ultimately the remainder of the book, he tells us how to live out a life that demonstrates Jesus is better. So we move from what I call theology, what you call theology, to what I call walkology, where we walk out our theology. We move from position, our position in Christ, to our practice in Christ. Chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, give us three let us exhortations. And I hope you never forget these these exhortations. The first one is, let us draw near, verses 19 through 22. Now let's look in our Bibles and let's follow along. Therefore, brethren, or better yet, brothers and sisters... You can see that verses 19, 20, and 21 are setting up verse 22, where we read, Let us draw near. Well, the arguments for drawing near are straight in the text. Two phrases that follow the word since. So look at verse 19. The first reason we should draw near is we have confidence to enter the holy place. Now drop down to verse 21. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So the author of Hebrews is saying, as a result of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we have the good news made available to us. We have access to God. We don't need a priest. We don't need a pastor. We don't need animal sacrifices because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law through his life, death and resurrection. And now we have access to God through Jesus 24/7, anywhere, anytime, any place. That's what the author is trying to argue. That takes us right into verse 22. With the first let us command, draw near It's in the present tense. We are to continually and constantly draw near. We can translate this even come together. It's translated that way throughout the scriptures. But when we read a verse like this, we often think, yes, I know I'm supposed to draw near to God. I'm supposed to read his word. I'm supposed to pray. But the focus here is corporate worship. And the anonymous writer of Hebrews makes it clear by 10 uses of the plural pronouns we, our, and us. There is no solo Christianity. The Bible knows nothing about it. It's impossible for you and me to be mature, vibrant disciples apart from one another. Impossible! Now, you can listen to great sermons online. Far better than what you'll hear this morning. You can listen to Spotify and Pandora and enjoy praise and worship. You can text with people. You can email people. You can talk to people on the phone. You can zoom with people and you can feel satisfied. But I'm telling you this, that's not what the Bible means by drawing near. That's not what the Bible means by coming together. Because worship takes place in the body of Christ. It's critical for us to understand that. Now, why is it important for us to come to church? Why is it important for us to come to this celebration service? This celebration service has singing where we gather as the united body of Christ and we sing songs of praise in unison. No matter what you may experience at home or anywhere else, there's nothing like the gathered body of Christ. Scripture is clear. And as much as we like YouTube sermons and podcasts and things like that, God shows up when his people gather. On the first day of the week, to celebrate his life, death, and resurrection, and the word is opened. God shows up in a powerful way. But that's also true when we meet one another, when we greet one another, when we encourage one another, when we comfort one another. It has to be experienced in person. If you don't believe me, ask Jesus. Look at his life. The Trinity determined that the best way to communicate with people was to send God the Son, Jesus Christ, to take on flesh and to dwell with humanity. Remote, virtual, that was insufficient as far as Jesus was concerned. The very God of the universe took on a human bod and he came And lived with us. Talk about slumming. Talk about humbling yourself. It's beyond our comprehension. And he expects us to do the same. Now, for those who are not physically able to be a part of the celebration service, or to be a part of a community group, or women's ministry, or men's ministry, or student's ministry, or children's ministry, if you're physically unable We're thrilled that you're live streaming. We're grateful that you're watching online. And you will have, I hope, a wonderful experience. But those who are watching and listening, and you know you can come back, but perhaps you prefer comfort. You prefer not being rushed. You feel like you're introverted. And you don't want to venture forth. To you, I'm saying This is back to church Sunday, and we want you back. And it's not just that we want you back. God wants you back. Now, some of you are saying, Keith, talk about hitting us hard in your first Sunday back. Why do we need to hear this sermon? Can't you see we're all present? I mean, I'm here. When I look to my left or my right, you're speaking to people who believe in in in-person worship. Why are you going off? Here's why. I need you. I need your help. See, prior to COVID, 52% more people would gather in person than are gathering today. Now, you may be saying, Keith, are you trying to stroke your ego? You want a big church? No. I've always pastored smaller churches. Smaller churches are much easier for me. They're much easier for our staff. They're much easier for our elders and our deacons and our deaconesses. It's a sacrifice for more people to show up. But I encourage it because Scripture encourages it. We talked about singing. We talked about the Word. But the Lord's Supper... Baptism, the interaction that takes place with in-person worship, there's nothing like it. But this is where I need you. We have sisters and brothers who aren't with us, who need to be with us, but they've been ensnared over the last two and a half years. Or they have fallen into a lethargic place and they need You and I to go after them. They need us to look at those who are MIA, missing in action, and to go after them. A woman hunt, a man hunt, where we text, email, DM. What about a handwritten card? Imagine this. We pick up a phone. We call. Or what if we told them that we were stopping by? and we just wanted to love on them and invite them back. Or what if we invited someone out to coffee or to lunch, preferably Sunday lunch? Hey, would you come back? We'll go out to lunch together. It's gonna take crossroads to be able to reach those who are a part of our church family who can return who we want to return. Let's help Crossroads and our community, the unchurched, the dechurched, draw near. So, the first let us exhortation let us draw near. The second exhortation let us hold fast. The Hebrew writer is going to say, let us cling. Let us cling to the gospel and to biblical truth. In verse 23, we read this let us hold fast. The confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This is so good. Again, a present tense command for a body of believers. And it is, let us hold fast. Let us cling to the gospel and to biblical teaching. Just think about your most treasured possession. Or your most treasured person. You're willing to hold on for dear life. God wants you to do that with the good news of Jesus and his word. And here's what our author is arguing. You cannot do it on your own. It's impossible. You may say, well, I know some believers who don't go to church who have dropped out of church, and they're doing fine spiritually. I've been in ministry over 30 years, and I have never once met a de-churched believer who was growing in their faith and helping others to do the same who was not a part of a local church. Never once. You can feel that you're spiritually fine. You can tell yourself, I will hold on to the good news of Jesus and to biblical teaching. Scripture would say, you can't do it on your own. If I was not a part of Crossroads, I would fall away from the faith. Not perhaps to the full extent, But if you're not moving forward intentionally, strategically, and aggressively, you're not in neutral like some believers assume. You're actually regressing. I'm saying I can't do the Christian life without you. It's impossible. And here's why. God won't allow it. Education, experience, gifting, passion – doesn't mean anything apart from the local church. That's true of me. That's true of each one of you. And on a daily basis, we need to be telling one another, hold fast. Let the gospel work its way into you and then through you. Preach the gospel to yourselves every day. Help other people become disciples. Why? We're building disciples who bring Jesus to our world. Our world is lost. It's dark. It needs you. And you need the church. Hold fast and help others do the same. So we've seen two lettuces. How do you like that? Let us draw near, let us hold fast. The third and final lettuce is let us. Consider. What the author argues in verses 24 and 25 is we need to study other believers and we study them in order to ultimately encourage them. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. When most Christians read this verse, they immediately will think, oh, stimulate, stir up. That's the verb. That's the action. It's not a verb. It's a noun. Guess what the verb is? Let us consider. And then the direct object, sorry to get so technical, but you need English and so do I. The direct object of consider is one another. Now brace yourself. Thirteen chapters in Hebrews, there is only one one another exhortation in the entire book, and it's right here, chapter 10, verse 24. The author says, I want you to go to church, not for yourself, not to consider yourself. Do I like the singing? How does the preached word resonate with me? Who greets me? Who makes me feel welcome? Who loves on me? Are there enough programs? Is there the right ministry for me? All those things are fine. But that's not why you go to church. You go to church to consider other sisters and brothers in Christ, to study them, to know them. And that's how you think when you drive in to Crossroads. And that's how you think as you leave Crossroads. And that's what you should be thinking and what I should be thinking Monday through Sunday. How do we consider other believers? Well, we consider how to stimulate or stir them up to love and good deeds. Pastors Kyle and Tanner will be talking to you about that shortly. But what we need to know for our purposes right here is the better rendering of this term is provoke. This term was used in Acts 15 of an apostolic disagreement that led to a parting of ways. It was used in the Greek Old Testament twice and translated negatively as provoke. Some of you are saying, I knew it. Christians provoke me all the time. They are a provoking people. Well, you got... There's some truth in that, but the author is using the term ironically. The best translation is provoke, but it is a positive translation where he uses the strongest, most intense word to say, I want you to gather with other believers and I want you to provoke them to love and good deeds. Now, what have we done in the midst of COVID? COVID. In the midst of political divisions and racial tensions and theological challenges. We have provoked one another like crazy and ruined relationships. That pretty much defines COVID and the last two and a half years. Well, the author of Hebrews is saying, now it's time to provoke one another to love and good deeds. It's time for the church to start being the church. Verse 25 is going to tell us how to provoke. I love this. Number one, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. Secondly, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The first way that we provoke other believers is by meeting together. You're like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. It can be provoking in both a negative and a positive sense. But I want you to understand, the believers in Hebrews that were tempted to not gather together, verses 32 through 34 of this very chapter tell us they were undergoing severe persecution. They were losing their jobs. They were losing their friendships. They were losing family members. See, these Hebrew Christians were Jewish believers, and they were being persecuted Their countrymen were saying, the gospel of grace, it's too easy. You need to return to Judaism, to the law, to the sacrificial system. It was very difficult for these believers to hold fast and to draw near. So they were exhorted to continue to meet, irregardless. Secondly, they met for the purpose of encouragement. Do you see how verse 25 concludes? Verse 25 concludes by saying that we should be encouraging one another, but notice, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Well, what day is he talking about here? The return of Jesus Christ. Now, I love you. I care about you. But there is a problem that many of us have who are still attending once or twice a month. And there are challenges that our brothers and sisters who are watching online have, who have not returned to church, even though they may be physically able. We either do not believe that Jesus Christ is really going to return, or we're flat out disobedient. Because Scripture says, as we see the day drawing near, and by the way, we're one day closer to Christ's return today than we were yesterday, and many Christians believe Christ is going to return in our lifetime. I talk to them every week, and 40 plus percent of Americans believe Christ is going to return in their lifetime. But instead of gathering all the more as Christ's return comes closer and closer, we're we're gathering less and less. What's up with that? We should be craving the opportunity and the privilege to meet together and to encourage one another. Now, what is encouragement, biblically speaking? The verb means to stand alongside of. You cannot do that virtually. It's impossible. We come to church to gather alongside of other believers, and to encourage. To encourage means to inspire with courage. It means when we come to church, we're looking for those that seem lonely, out of place, heavy-hearted. Because I can tell you what's going on at CBC. There's marriages that are failing. There are children who are rebellious. There are relationships where we are estranged from others who mean the world to us. There are those of us who have lost jobs or are about to lose jobs, and all of us were headed into a recession that could be devastating. What are we going to do? We're going to gather We're going to meet and we're going to encourage each other. And that's our goal on Sunday. Yes, we worship, but we could worship at home. Some of you would say, I can worship at home better than I can worship at church. You may be right. But here's what you can't do. You can't consider other sisters and brothers and encourage them side by side. You cannot shake a hand touch a shoulder, or give someone a hug. You can't do it. You miss out on what the New Testament calls and commands us to do. And we do it more and more and more as Christ's return draws near. So how do we summarize what I've been saying? You need the church. And the church needs you. You need the church. Right now, some of you are in crisis. I've been in crisis. I'm experiencing crisis right now. I need you. I don't know how I can continue to go on without you. Now, if you're not in crisis, if you're not experiencing severe trials right now, I'm telling you from my personal experience, you're headed into crisis. You're headed into trials. And what you don't want to do is, you don't want to build a house, a relational house in a storm. You want to build it when it's relatively sunny outside. You need the church. And if you don't need the church right now, I promise you, you will. There is no substitute for the church. Because God will not allow you to find your satisfaction in your marriage, in your family, in your singleness, in your job, in your hobbies. He won't allow it. He only will allow you to find your chief joy in his bride, the local church. That's his primary vehicle. That's his vessel to transform our world and our culture. Not only do you need the church, The church needs you. I had the most amazing time at the Welcome Center interacting with first-time guests who came and are desperate for someone to love them, comfort them, grieve with them. I was so fired up after first service. And you can be a part of that. There are people that you will rub shoulders with immediately after this worship gathering, and you could be the reason that they return to hear God's Word, to grow in a discipleship relationship. There are ministries in our church that require your participation. Children's ministry, students' ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, community groups, service behind the scenes, service... Up front, we need you. If you're a first-time guest, your first step is the welcome lunch. We have a welcome lunch coming up. Our leadership wants to know you. We want to love you. We want to help you take next steps. If you're an attendee and you're not in a community group, you need to be in a community group. This is where church happens. Remember, this is the celebration service. Church happens when the one another ministries are being carried out. We have women's ministry kicking off along with our men's ministry this very week. We've got discipleship groups. We've got life-on-life groups. We have men's and women's Bible studies. This is where you can grow as a disciple. And we need you to be a part of this because we're building disciples who bring Jesus to our world. Some of you who are involved in all kinds of activities, but you're not serving, you need to serve. And today, your next step is, I'm going to walk out my theology. Keith talked about walkology. I'm going to live this thing. If I believe Jesus is better, like the book of Hebrews, I'm going to demonstrate it with my life and with my service. I'm going to reach this community I'm going to build up my church that I love. You need the church and the church needs you. If you and I don't believe that, we miss out on Christianity 101. Now, most of us know a lot about the Bible. We know good theology, but if we miss that you need the church and the church needs you, it's all for naught. Because that's the Bride of Christ, and that's how God works His purposes on planet Earth. I used to be a runner, cross-country, track, but I no longer run unless something is chasing me. But I know a lot of runners, and I'm especially intrigued by marathoners. I love marathoners, and they will tell me when they're running a marathon, They've got family members, friends, and fans who pass out food and drink over the 26.3 miles. But their biggest fans, typically their family, they're at mile marker 25 because that's when marathoners hit the wall. And then family members, they shout, keep on, you can do it. We believe in you. We love you. Just another mile or so. And these marathoners tell me that's how they finish their race. Spiritually speaking, we're not running a sprint. We're running a marathon. And the marathon is getting harder and harder and harder in our nation. And it's never going to get easier than it is right now. It's only going to get harder. You need the church and the church needs you. We're a family. We're going to spend eternity together. Let's prepare for it. Let's prepare now, and let's do life and ministry together, and let's see God transform King County and ultimately the nation and the world through a church that truly needs one another and loves one another. Let's pray together. Father, we declare together we need the church and the church needs us. But Lord, you don't need us. We need you. We want to draw near. We want to hold fast. We want to consider you. This morning, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, draw near. Believe that you have sinned and that Jesus Christ the savior.
1: Good morning church, good morning. That was a great message, thank you Keith. Uh, I wanna share something that was exciting for me just yesterday, I'll do this real quick. Um, There was a Ukrainian festival in Crossroads Park and in the past they've had about 30,000 Ukrainians there and I'm sure that yesterday the numbers were probably pretty similar. And this was uh, um, this section of like working with kids uh, and putting on the whole kids area arena. Uh, uh, Skrovitz, sorry about that for butchering your name. Um, But she helped lead in that and worked with the Eastern European uh, Community Group and Pastor Tanner, myself, we were there working with kids. We must have shared the gospel to at least 200 kids yesterday. And it was an incredible thing, um, and there are kids like one to four kids at a time, just all day long, sharing the gospel to children, and passing out Jesus Storybook Bibles. It was an incredible thing, and uh, I, I just love that that came out of people in this church um, wanting on their own to be able to reach others, and just an incredible thing. I was really thankful to be a part of it. I wanted to share that with you. Um, CBC, we've been around since the 60s, and that's pretty amazing. And in that time, we have endured some change, right? We changed from Crossroads Baptist Church to Crossroads Bible Church. We changed from being in the neighborhood Crossroads to being here in Eastgate. Uh, so that was a big change. We've had change of staff since the 60s, right? And, and that's happened uh, to us. But one thing that will never change about who we are is our love for Jesus and our love for the word of God. We will preach the word of God even if it's hard, and we'll stand on that truth, and I'm really excited about that. Our vision statement uh, is built after that truth of Scripture, where Jesus says in Matthew 28:19, "Go and make disciples of all the nations." Our vision statement to build disciples who bring Jesus to our world." It was built off that. And our vision statement, it describes our purpose and what we're ascribing to as a church. And we wanted to make sure that the logo of our church did the same thing. And so we worked hard to put together a new logo that we feel really uh, identifies with who we are as a church and what we're going after. And so I wanted to share that with you in this moment. So feel free to ooh and ah if you get so excited to do so. All right. This... Yeah, right, ooh, ah, so nice. I really enjoy and and I just thoroughly love uh, this logo. And I love it because I feel like it's clean, it's fresh, it's strong and simple at the same time. There's confidence to it. Uh, I feel like it's intelligent but approachable. And that's an important thing to be able to have in a brand. And I feel like it, it feels organic, it feels essential to who we are and communicates really that growth and the multiplication, which is the Great Commission, as well as our vision statement. So this is exciting to share with you. I wanted to also show you um, some of the variations and iterations of the logo that you might see uh, around. There will be stickers with some of the logos that we'll be able to to hand out to you as you leave. You're going to see this around the church over the next couple months as it begins to replace the old logo, and we're just really excited about that. We feel like it really uh, lends itself to supporting who we are and what we're going after. So uh, one of the things I wanted to share is that uh, uh, it's, it's easy as a church, when you have a vision statement like ours, building disciples who bring Jesus to our world, it's really easy uh, with a, a church this size, with a number of ministries that we have, and even uh, lots of congregants that might have different desires and preferences. It's easy to uh, begin to uh, waver from that vision and have lots of programs that are kind of over here meeting needs and some that are here meeting needs, but going, man, we've, we've got to bring that together, right? And a lot of churches, they wrestle with this. We're, we're not any different. We've wrestled with it too. And these are some of the kinds of churches that I think kind of deviate a little bit those churches that are like the ministry buffet, right? There's something for everybody at our church. And if you don't like vegetables like Pastor Keith, that's okay. You can just go straight to the dessert table and go back four or five times. No one's going to judge you. And you can just get what you need, get what you want. Just come. There's something for everybody. And it kind of, you know, waters down the vision of what we're going after. We've seen this too, buckshot ministry, where uh, people kind of have an idea of where they're going and they just, ton, they shoot tons of ministries out there and they try to make lots of things happen and some of them hit the target and a lot of them don't. But we just, we're, we're making an effort, right? And that can happen too. This one's one of my favorites, the Your Way right Away Ministry, right? Where we go, you know, we really, our goal as a church above everything else is to make people happy. Right? Doesn't that sound like the church, just pleasing people? And so if people want certain things, we are going to do it. We are going to stop everything and make sure that everybody gets what they need. I was actually, this was about 10 years ago, I was walking in this hallway, and uh, a gentleman said to me, if they don't turn the volume of worship down, I'm taking my tithing dollars elsewhere. And I thought, wow. When, when did it become an exchange of goods? When did that consumerism mentality enter in so much that we give people what they want and then in exchange they give us money? That's like super gross as a church. You never want to operate that way. So your way right away, churches, that can, that can happen. The other one is the, the country club churches, Right? Where we are, are pro friendship. We think friendship is great. But when friendship becomes the purpose for why people are here, it's the number one thing. I wanna be with friends. I wanna be a part of this elite group. I wanna say I go to that church. It starts to uh, really water down what we're doing. And we just go Sunday to Sunday just to see the people that we like versus thinking about making disciples and who can I bring to church. How can I have eyes for visitors when I'm at church? How can I engage in that way? We also see this too. Large attendance means success. The bigger the church I go to, we must be doing something right. Right? It must be all about Jesus if it's big. Well, I I sat there thinking like, well, you know, I bet if we gave away a Tesla every Sunday and people had to be present to win, we could double the size of this church in a week or so. Like, is really attendance, does that mean we're actually fulfilling what Christ has called us to do? And are we being the church we're supposed to be? I don't think it's just about attendance. But we all can struggle with that, our church and other churches. And so we just really want to make sure we have a clear strategy, and one that not only we feel as leaders, but that all of you feel as well. A clear vision that we've talked about. But then how do we fulfill that vision? And we wanted to bring it down into three really simple steps. My hope and my goal is that over the next couple months, even over this year, you're going to hear us talk about this a lot. But I want this to soak in to all of you. Because I want you to be able to meet a visitor who comes in and goes, okay, I'm here. Now what? If you just say, well, let's go to Pastor Keith. He'll know what's next. Like, he's just one person. But how can you, each of you, know what the next steps are so that you can help people get connected? And it's all part of that ministry process of entering in the church and becoming and growing mature in the discipleship effort and and, and what we're going after as a church. So I want to show three steps with you. We'll look at these real quick. Planted in truth, rooted in community, and reaching in love. You're going to see these all around the church. You're going to hear us talk about these regularly. So get ready to, to absorb and learn something new. Planted in truth, rooted in community, reaching love. love. Well, what does planted in truth mean? For adults, we would say, hey, you're here at a church on a Sunday. You've made that step. The truth of God's word is being preached and communicated, and you're engaging with it. Praise the Lord. But... For youth and for children, we would say Wednesday nights are a great opportunity for that. That's when kids are going to want to bring their friends, hey, come to church with me. They're non-believing friends, and we want them to be a part of that. That's entering into the church. But where do they go from there? Well, all our programs need to move people forward. And the next thing to get forward and moved into is being rooted in community, to be in community groups. Again, we're pro-friendship, but a community group is different than a friend group. A community group is different than a friend group. In a community group, you should be able to ask the question, "Who are you discipling lately? How is that going?" If that's not something you can ask in the group you are at in church, then it's not a community group. And Tanner is going to, Pastor Tanner is going to talk more about this in just a moment. We really want to see people get connected in there. I was with, talking with a girl last Wednesday who's been at this church for about six, seven weeks. And she said to someone who's been a long-time attender, how do I get plugged in? And that person gave the right answer. Get involved in a community group. And she did immediately. And she's only been here for seven weeks, and she's getting connected. And I love that. I want to see us do that, because in a community group, the full expression of the church is lived out. This is not the full expression of the church. Just coming, hearing the word, and worshiping is not enough. There's so much more that happens when we're surrounded with people, linking arms together, praying for each other, weeping with each other. Someone's going through a job crisis, a marriage crisis. They've lost a loved one. To have people that you can count on to be the community that you need amidst those times. Community group is important. And we'd really encourage you to be a part of one. And the last thing I would say is we want to see people reaching in love. Reaching in love. That means making disciples. That's, that's, that's a bearing fruit, going out, reaching out, making disciples, serving here at Crossroads, serving locally uh, in the community, and serving everywhere, serving abroad. We really want to see that happen with this church as we grow in our discipleship-making effort and the maturity as Christian disciples planted in community, or in truth, root in community, reaching in love. Those are the three stages, and you're going to see more of that regularly, and we just encourage you to begin to step out and say, I want to know what the next steps are so I can help people get connected and grow in their maturity as a disciple. I'm going to hand it off to Pastor Tanner. He's going to jump on in here and talk to you a little bit about community groups. Also, on your way out, If um, there will be people at the doors that would love to hand a flyer to you that talks a little bit about the fall ministries that are going to be available as well as this ministry process. So we would love for you to be able to get that as you go.
2: Thanks, Pastor Kyle. As Pastor Kyle said, my name is Tanner, and church family, it's so good to be with you this morning. And uh, I have my phone here because I have so much that I want to pack into a short time and make sure you all are, are able to get out to that lunch that Pastor Keith talked about in his sermon. So uh, this morning you heard from Pastor Keith and Kyle, hopefully you heard this message that even if you're here with us in the worship gathering, this is a vital but a small part about, of what it means to be the church together. And so whether you've been here for a week or 20 years, If you've only been joining us here in the worship gathering, your next step is to find a community group. And I'm going to tell you some ways that I want to help you do that here in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about the first time that I entered a church this size. I knew for sure that church was never going to be a place where I could make real connections. I was so convinced, but I filled out a Connect card anyway, and someone got a hold of me, and I visited this community group. And before I knew it, that large church family had become much smaller. And over the course of a few months, my wife, Taylor, and I uh, saw that this community group was outgrowing its space. And so we and another couple launched out to plant a new community group. And that group became our family. They walked with us through our two miscarriages. We walked with them through disrupted adoptions, burying family members. We saw eight children born into that community group in the span of six months. And we threw a baby shower for every last one of them. We also, we also served together. We loved on each other's kids. We ate meals in each other's homes. We challenged each other to share the gospel with our, our friends, our families, our, our neighbors. And we did life together. It was such an incredible experience of discipleship in community that our life has been forever changed by those people. They helped us fundraise for our son's adoption and supported us as we brought him home. There's just no way to measure how much we've been impacted by those three and a half years and all that the Lord did through us and in the lives of others, even sending out elders and pastors of other churches from that group. It was an incredible experience experience to see how God could work just by the simple step of faith of visiting a community group. And that's what I hope to see for each and every one of you, even if that's not been your experience up to this point. But my wife and I have loved our community group here at Crossroads. We've been blown away to see all the ways that God's been working through our community groups, even just in the last year, as they have committed to being in the word together, to growing as disciples, to serving with one another, to serving out in the community uh, regularly each Uh, each month or sometimes a couple times a year. We've seen groups bring in refugees into their homes. We've seen a group rally around a family that was displaced because of the sudden birth of a child unexpectedly. Uh, We've seen groups serve out in our community and challenge each other to weekly be sharing the gospel uh, with everyone in their lives. And so church family, this is why I'm so excited to invite each and every one of you to visit a community group Even if you have in the past and you didn't feel that spark, visit again and again until you find your family of faith here at Crossroads because your brothers and sisters are worth it and ultimately because Jesus is worth it. Because even if things don't go quite how we expect, even if we don't get what we expect from a community group, community as Christians is not some kind of ideal we create, but it's a reality in which we participate. Because when we were united with Christ, we were at the very same moment bonded together as brothers and sisters through the blood of Jesus. And so you might be sitting there right now just asking yourself, okay, that's great. I love everything you've said, but what in the world is a community group? So I've put together just a simple definition for us as a church family. And here's what a Crossroads community group is. It is a family of sent disciples who grow together in the gospel, serve one another and others in love, and send each other out to build more disciples. So you can hear even in that definition that a community group is not the last stop. And I'll talk about that here in a moment as well. But you might be thinking, okay, great, that's a great definition, but what does that even look like practically speaking? So community groups on average meet a couple times a month for a couple hours to get into the word together, to read it, to discuss it, or to discuss the past week's sermon to pray for one another, to press into each other's lives, to care for one another materially, spiritually, uh, emotionally, relationally, and to, to live life together as sent disciples. So uh, these groups also find a way to serve with one another. As you heard me mention a moment ago, uh, whether that's a couple times a year or some, some groups are serving every month out in our community to show the love of Jesus to our world. So we serve together. We challenge each other to share the gospel regularly. Now, uh, this definition, we've not just you know, cooked up ourselves. It's something we see when the first church gathers in Acts 2, 42 through 47. We're not going to read those verses together today, but if you want to go home, read those verses, you'll see what life in community is all about. And you can see it across uh, the pages of the whole New Testament. Now, community groups are so essential as families of sent disciples because family is where you run when you hit crisis or when it's time to celebrate because families care. And one of the ways we wanna help you just get a taste for what it's like to experience the care of a family is something we're calling biblical soul care. And we're going to have an event on October 1st, 8.30 a.m. to 12 p.m. for the whole church family. It doesn't matter if you're in a community group yet or not. We want each and every one of you to be there. And this is just one small event that is going to be part of a larger Uh, thing that we are going after as a church family our elders saw this great need that we have for people to experience the hope and healing of the gospel when we meet times of sin and suffering in our lives and so that's what biblical soul care is all about and this first event is going to be on anxiety so if you have ever experienced anxiety or if anyone you know has ever experienced anxiety we want you to come out to this event there's no commitment there's no cost Just come, get equipped with biblical truths that you can apply to restore God's peace and joy in your life in areas you may be experiencing anxiety or someone you love may be experiencing anxiety. You can go to cbcbellevue.com slash soulcare to check that out. Now, ultimately, Jesus did not call us to merely be members of community groups, right? He called us to be maturing as his disciples, And so, as I said, community groups are not our last stop. You even heard Pastor Kyle say, we're reaching in love. So we challenge everyone in community groups to find where they can serve in our church uh, with the gifts that God has given them. But we also challenge you to go deeper in discipleship. Once you've found your community group, we challenge you to get into a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study or a men's or women's discipleship group or life on life discipleship group and to grow together in deeper discipleship through our men's and women's ministry. I love everything that Pastor Mark is doing and Kelly Curran. My wife's going to be part of a a discipleship group this fall. I'm going to be leading a life on life discipleship group this fall. And so we just love going deeper beyond the the depth that we are growing even in our own community group. Now, maybe you're thinking, if you're you're not yet in a community group, you may not be there yet. It might be too big of a thing for you to step into a community group after this service. And so, men's and women's also have these short Bible studies. They're four-week studies, and the great thing about them is you're going to get a taste of deeper discipleship in those short studies, but also by the end of them, they're going to be encouraging you to join a community group. So, Check out one of those short studies if you're not yet there. Maybe you will be in four weeks after uh, that that Bible study has taken place. If you are ready to get into a community group, come find me at the Welcome Center. I'd love to give you two or three options. If you're willing to flip services and worship at 9 a.m., there's a group meeting right now that's open to all of you. It meets in room 131. So if you all take me up on this, we might have to go under construction and expand that room, maybe maybe make it like seven levels, or I don't know how that would all work. Um, We haven't had that zoned yet, but... Uh, Room 131, it's a group called Generations, and this group is open to anyone in any life stage, any level of maturity in Christ, to just get into community together. It's led by Andrew and Amber David. They're incredible followers of Jesus. You will love them immediately, just as I did the first time that I met them. Now, uh, on top of this, I just want to point out that um, there is something, if you've come today... And you're like, look, I don't even know what I believe about Jesus. Like, you're talking about all this discipleship. I don't even know half the words you've said. Come back tomorrow night. And I know what you're thinking. Look, it was enough to get me into a church one time. You're telling me to come back tomorrow? Um, So please come back tomorrow night. There's dinner. Um, Please register on our website so we know how much dinner to provide. But there's this thing called Alpha. And it's a place where you can just openly explore the questions that you may have about life and the claims of Jesus and the Bible. So come tomorrow night, and if you already are doing all these things, you're growing as a disciple, but you know someone who doesn't yet know what they believe about Jesus, bring them with you. Come to Alpha with us, and let's see people come to know Jesus for the first time. All right, I'm gonna pray for us, church family. Uh, It's been such a, a great time to be able to consider how to grow in community together as disciples. Lord Jesus, you are worthy. You are building your church, and we thank you that you involve us in that process. Lord, build us, help us to be building disciples who bring you, Jesus, to our world. We commit ourselves to you again. We commit this year ahead to you. Lord, do much more with these humble uh, hands, humble hearts that we present to you than we could ever imagine. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.